Hello, Bopheads. Just a quick note before we get started. This welcome back episode with the Bop Squad will be done in two parts. So the first part you will hear now and the second part you will hear later on this week. So enjoy. Clinical. Bop. Clinical. Clinical Clinical Population Population Clinical Population Clinical Population Hello everybody, my name's John I'm Mike I'm Allison I'm Gabby And I'm Grant And welcome to Clinical Population Introducing music therapists to new bops and new bops to music therapy. Season four! We did it! (laughs) After a two-month hiatus, how's everyone doing? Tired. Doing really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, John's good. That's good. (laughs) Everyone else is tired. I mean, I'm tired too. It was a time change today. We all lost an hour of sleep last night. I know. We did. Yes. But at least, like, it's not super dark at 6 p.m. Yeah, that's That's true. More time for activities or daylight for activities. Daylight. Daylight. (laughs) For today's episode, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. Um, you know, we get to listen to a lot of other people's songs that they get to share with us, and I think it'd be really cool um, if we were able to share some songs that are really important to us personally, and just kind of get a chance to talk about them with each other here as co-hosts, and then share that with you know our listeners, and maybe these are songs you all have heard before, maybe songs that you all haven't heard, um, but just kind of a different way to get to know us a little bit more, especially since... We're at our fourth season. Uh, we're doing a lot of cool things. And season four. I know. It's super exciting. Um, and just, you know, switch things up a bit, you know? Keep 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 it fresh. Yeah, and I also want to note that we don't own any of these songs and did not write any of these songs, and we're only playing 10 seconds of them. Mm-hmm. So this is for educational purposes. So yep. go and look up the song after the episode and listen to the whole thing so you can kind of get a, a whole feel of what we're talking about. Right. Right. <clears throat> cool. Well, you guys ready to dig in? Sure. Yep. Yes. Cool. All right. So first up, we have A Fire Love by Ed Sheeran. Darling, hold me in your arms the way you did last night. So that was A Fire Love by Ed Sheeran, um, and that was my my song for today. Um, I picked it for two reasons. Um, one, if you've listened to our episodes, you know that I work with uh, dementia a lot, um, and this song kind of talks about the journey of dementia. Um and then Ed Sheeran's mm-hmm. also my favorite artist. So it was a kind of a nice thing. You kind of get to see some of my preference in music, but also a, a topic that um, I like to 
talk about and I use a lot in my sessions. Um, so I, I really like the song um, because it, like I said, you know, really describes that a lot of aspects of um, the journey with somebody with dementia. Um, in the first verse, um, he talks about, it's kind of from the perspective of explaining to a child what dementia is um, and that, you know, they're not going to recognize, um, you know, your face. Um, and in the second verse, it kind of processes um, the the death of that person, um, that family member, um, and kind of talks about the funeral. So, um, but I really like the chorus because um, when you're working with dementia, it can be a very depressing thing, um, but they are still a person and have lived a life. And um, I really like the chorus because it talks about, um, and my grandma, she used to sing, um, or says that he used to sing. Um, and they, it kind of like does this reminiscing um, section of the song, you know, thinking back to, to who he was as a person. Yeah, Ed Sheeran um, wrote the song um, so, for his grand for grandfather passed away mm-hmm. uh, from Alzheimer's, and um, it was a kind of a processing song mm-hmm. for Ed Sheeran. Seems like mm-hmm. he also has another. I love Ed Sheeran. He's one of my favorite artists. Um, he has another song. So this one is from um, two albums ago, and his. Uh, so he has a recent album and then the album before that. So I mm-hmm. guess that was like 2017. Um, he has another song written for his grandmother who passed away and it's called flowers and it has, um, it has a different vibe to it. It's more, it's, um, it's more flowy and very sad. Um, this one, like you said, John, I really appreciated that you could like visualize the person that he was writing about and see the life that they lived and, but it also brought gravity to the situation. Um, and I think it would be a great song to use in a group, um, to just open up, to let people talk about their, uh, their loved ones and their lives and, you know, the, the fun times that they have, the, who the person was, not just what, you know, what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a really good choice. I could totally see why you picked it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and when I lead the support groups, a lot of times we just, we don't have an agenda, um, to our meetings. Um, it's a lot of just, you know, come in and, and share what's going on. Um, but sometimes it's helpful to have some kind of a prompt. Um, I'd love to bring this into a group and just let that, um, you know, hand out the lyrics and, and let that prompt conversation, um, about how, Mm -hmm more uh, people who are farther along in the process have kind of handled that situation and give advice to those who haven't um, gotten to that point yet. Um, Cause everybody's kind of at a different place in that, that journey. This is probably a good opportunity to maybe talk about because songs like this, um, especially popular music, uh, you know, something like Ed Sharon that really reaches a lot of uh, people. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of music therapists out here who love Ed Sharon. Um, and this song might resonate them on a deep level because they themselves have lost, lost a loved one from Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. may have helped them go through a hard time or help them process or relate. 
And that that is one of those tricky areas for us as music therapists is that when songs resonate with us deeply, that, you know, to assume that it will resonate for someone else deeply um, is certainly not the case um, at all. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, songs represent what we still have to work through as therapists and that moment of like, do I utilize this? You know, like if it or kind of the coolest, hardest moment is when people you work with resonate with your music very, very deeply and very, very closely. And they bring up Ed Sheeran in a bereavement group. And you're like, Oh my God, that's my bereavement song. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, oh. and it's, 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 it's totally exciting. You're like, yes. But at the same time, it, there's like, um, there's all those kind of possible red flags also. So, yeah. Mm. And you know, actually Allison, when you were talking about, um, his song off of, believe it okay so yes did divide yeah so yeah so this album a fire love is off uh a fire love is off multiply and then because he has he just recently had the most uh the collaborative album so i'm just like there's another one out there i think too um he's just making music like wild man is extremely talented and has a lot of just talent (laughs) but um one of the ideas that came to my mind as you were talking was possibly having a type of song discussion where you can have this song of fire love with supermarket flowers. You can, mm, there's a very yeah. musically, they're both very different. Um, and part of the thing that um, really strikes me about a fire love, cause I remember the first time I heard the song there, and this is just my personal perception of it. Um, everybody else has, can have a different one as well, but like the drive of the music has a lot more of a sense of just like energy and that energy could be perceived as like anger in a stage of grief, as opposed to like a supermarket flowers where things are a little Mm -hmm. bit more like smooth and like flowing and not as just like driving and intense could be like a much different Mm -hmm. stage. Like, you know, however you want to get to that point, but like you can kind of see that reflected in the music with these songs that are similar in theme. And I think that'd be like a really cool, like not necessarily comparison contrast, but like, you know what I, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. the music's definitely expressive. Uh, like in A Fire Love, it, it seems uh, to be more expressive of, I don't know, I don't know what sense you all get from it, but definitely the um, there's a, a, a poppy mm-hmm. vibe that it, there's an mm-hmm. uplift to it in some way um, exp- mm-hmm. that seemed to me expressive of contemplation, but also like a picture book. Um, maybe a little detached from the the the, grie- the the going into the grief or going into the anger, but really kind of um, yeah, like um, yeah, picture book. Yeah, going off of that, which by the way, grief the stages of grief, yeah. it's not linear. It right. goes in all sorts of paths and patterns, or not patterns, just paths. Um, so you guys talking about the different sounds and feels of um, the different songs reminds me of a project I finished last year with one of my coworkers. He wrote a musical called The Adventure of Beta Kid, and it's about a sibling who's processing through the loss of his brother. Um, and it's not from personal experience for him, but it's from 
a friend's experience and he asked me to help write lyrics for it. Um, and he wrote most of the music and basically it's a video game setting and each land that the main character has to go through is a different stage of grief. So all the songs sound really different. So having to write lyrics, um, in different styles and to, um, embody those different emotions was super, was challenging, but it was also, I mean, it was fun, like having to really stretch, um, my personal lyric writing um, and also just work with him on it. Um, And we, uh, they performed it last year um, and I think they're going to do another performance in maybe towards the end of this year. Um, And we performed it at our children's theater. So a bunch of kids were able to be part of it. Um, It wasn't my uh, special needs kids, but it was, um, neurotypical kids who auditioned to be in the parts. Um, so we're actually presenting on it at the Swampta conference. If anyone wants to come, it's in Houston in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Little plug over there. But <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what this song reminded me of. Yeah, I think I really like this discussion of like the different stages of grief because, like you said, it's not linear um, and it you also can you know jump from you know different stages and it sometimes even when you get to acceptance that's not where you are landing you just kind of have a season of acceptance and then jump mm-hmm. back to something else so um grief is is hard um and so i think sometimes music can um help us understand it a little bit better was a great, no, I think the the lightness of the song remind uh, you know the heaviness of the lyrics, um, and then the lightness of the song reminds me that you know like like you all are saying stages of grief, both with um, people who are you know um, who are in a transitional phase of life to to, to people in bereavement. Um, that oftentimes humor is a positive resource and coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I think it often throws like, especially like uh, students in supervision, uh, maybe in an internship in hospice. And the first time they might see, you know, where laughter is being used as a, as a form of resilience, you know, in the face of great tragedy and, um, and, and grief that we're able to still laugh and be light um, Mm -hmm. is, is, is a really beautiful um and that even we can even dance and we can even you know and and in the midst of it we can we, you know uh we can cry and let it out that way as well i think old school developmental psychologists would be like well that's a that's a denial stage um, <laughs> but uh instead of seeing it as a really beautiful coping resource that we have yeah Actually, I did have a question for y'all. Um, the bridge uh, is talking about, I guess, at the funeral. Um, it says, my brothers and all of my family rise from their seats to sing hallelujah. Um, how did y'all take that? I actually really liked that bridge. Um, I I wrote down some notes about it, actually, and I thought it would be really great <clears throat> 
um, when, when people are ready, really great for singing because it's repetitive. It's kind of in a holding pattern. Um, it sounds very supportive. Um, I don't know about the lyrics though. That would be something that I would want to rewrite. Um, but I do like the musical aspect of it and the supportive aspect of it and having voices together. Um, that's what stood out to me. I think like for me, my response was a little, it's interesting. I would say something about it. And when you hear it in that like context of it, doesn't seem not necessarily inauthentic, but there is this kind of like ritualistic aspect of like funerals and music. And it can kind of fall into, well, this possibly could be like a good discussion topic, (laughs) but like kind of navigating like how, Sometimes, like, maybe rituals don't always necessarily, like, address what is needed in those moments. So, like, if at that point when that bridge comes in, part of me, like, questions the concept of whether or not um, about why you're singing Hallelujah um, for, you know, they're, like, right. in a mm-hmm. certain context, that can be, like, really, like, joyful and, like, having this, like, sense of relief. And that could be true in, like, some complex cases of, like, the person is no longer suffering. So that could be a sense of joy and relief. You don't have to like worry about that. So that could be a very valid response to it, but also too, like speaking of it, like I think one thing she said earlier, John was about um, how it kind of can have this, like it kind of feels like it's being described to like a child in a certain point and like a much more like simpler description of it. It's like for a child, like how do they understand and process that information in that experience and how could that be? So it's, like the bridge is really complex to me in that sense. And I kind of love that about it because it could go in so many different ways. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was just sitting here thinking like, I remember mm-hmm. sitting at my great grandmother's funeral and hearing songs that, and this is like when I was a kid, but just hearing songs that were very, um, that she loved, but they, they were so happy. And at that point, like, I didn't want to hear that. And so just, I guess, depending on where certain people are, like I said, you know, in that, in the, in the process and if they're, if they're ready for that. Um, Because I knew like Mm -hmm. as a kid, I wasn't ready to hear those, those songs, even though she loved them so much and they were happy and they made her happy. I was not wanting to hear happy music in that moment. Yeah. Um, So but I think I've talked about anticipatory grieving before. Um, and so a lot of times with dementia, with that being such a long um, disease process, or it can be, um, there's a lot of grieving that happens while the person's still alive. Um, and in our conversation tonight, I had written down, like, you know, I wanted to ask y'all what y'all thought about the, the bridge. Um, but after we kind of talked about grief and I put that lens on the song, um, I do think it can be, you know, that kind of acceptance stage. Um, And I think maybe Grant said earlier, like, maybe it's hallelujah, you know, that they're not suffering anymore. And, you know, looking at it, you know, in that, that way, but I don't know. Wanted to ask you all about it. Hmm. And the next song is You by Kendrick Lamar. Never you is complicated. 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 It is complicated. <laughs> More than one person has said that to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of complex reactions coming up for you, huh, Brian? 
Um, <laughs> well, you know, the, the, what a hard assignment this is to, um, to kind of bring one of these songs. And I think when, when Grant, when you put the call out for this episode, I really went with the first thing just to pop into my head and not overthink it. And, you know, um, not only does the album to pimp a butterfly definitely stand out to me as my favorite album, um, from like 2010 of the past decade. Uh, it might be, you know, my favorite album of this, uh, uh, of the past 20 years so far. Um, just in terms of scope, vision, musicality, but also cultural zeitgeist, you know, when, um, when, you know, the, the Ferguson uprisings were happening and everybody started, um, you know, spontaneously saying, you know, saying we going to be all right and chanting the, the lyrics to all right. Um, I was, you know, I was like, well, here's a, this is the moment. This is the moment when the music and the and social movement, um, and it comes out spontaneously. It comes out, and it felt revolutionary. It felt, um, and it certainly was a revolutionary moment in time. Um, and so, you know, I think it's an, an important album. Um, and if you haven't heard the whole album, you know, uh, it's, you know, Good Kid, Mad City, the album before that was, um, an album of childhood into adulthood. Uh, this is the album of really claiming your adulthood and, and bringing it back, um, to, for, for others to grow and learn from, to, um, with sp specific narratives as well related to, um, you know, uh, African-American black culture, um, and also marginalized and abreast cultures, um, being a cis white able-bodied, you know, um, male, uh, that, um, you know, ha has moved into, uh, really immersing, uh, into, uh, hip hop and rap. Um, and as a therapist, it offers me both a mirror back to myself as someone in power and privilege while at the same time, um, constantly learning while at the same time grooving and, and, and being in it. So it's a very complex album, um, for sure. So I chose you in particular for, um, several reasons. Uh, number one, you know, the the pronouns in this album where you is really me and and the when he sings i at the end it always seems to me that i is really we and you know in order to get to the i you have to move through the you and so during the whole um you know you definitely represents kind of the 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 six o'clock moment of of the album where there's breakdown where there's you know major depression episode there's alcoholism there's suicidal ideation um, there is uh, kind of a moment of um, everything kind of fragmenting in the scene within a hotel room um, within Kendrick's own narrative that is unfolding and all the voices in the head that's happening, all the conversation, the shaming, the guilt, the um, 
pressures, you know, voices from within himself, him looking in the mirror saying, loving you is complicated. The image of him looking in the mirror, just looking at himself and seeing that self of, you know, just all, all, all of the rage and the guilt and everything staring back as a mirror, um, a mirror and that mirror could be society, you know, all the messages that's told him, or it could be loved ones and family member members, um, who, who, you know, within, uh, his past and all those messages and all that trauma and all that, those experiences deep within him. And so the loving you is complicated as, as him looking at himself in a moment of, um, in a moment of realization that the you is him. And I just think owning that can be, is, is really the work that's, that's powerful work. That's hard work. That is the work, in my opinion, you know, the, the understanding the introjects within yourself, understanding that the projections are yours. When you have a dream that you're not dreaming about the other person, that's part of you. It's you. When you write a song, it's not about someone else. It's about you again. Keep coming back to it's you and not to be selfish about it, but we can't get to, you know, the, the we until we move through that me and own it and move out into it. Um, so for me, it's a very powerful, it's a really powerful song. Um, and the use of silence midway through is especially important. I think one of my other favorite moments of silence is um, off of the mixtape Acid Raps by Chance the Rapper. There's a song called Pusher Man. Um, and then there's like a, like a long 30 to 40 second silence until it goes into a song yeah. called Paranoia. And, um, yep. you know, silence, even in this song, that silence just, and it switches musical, it switches kind of soundscape there. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's definitely that moment of it, it's stopping as if the heart is stopping as if a death is happening and a rebirth is about to happen too, but we have to move through this in order for that to happen. So the silence in particular is also <clears throat> pretty powerful for me. And so I think that's really all I wanted to say about it and was interested in what you all thought, what you all thought about it uh, or, or just any open, you know, uh, feedback. I liked the question uh, that he asked several times in the song of where was your antennas? Uh, like, what were you thinking? You know, because he kind of talks about um, some different scenarios or like the, as the song progresses, but that question keeps coming up. Like, um, I don't know, like, what were you thinking, you know, going in? Where, where was the radar? I think there's like quite a few like different like responses and reactions like within the song. I think like for sure there's definitely like context about this album in general and like Kendrick has been very <laughs> just I think probably like one of the most like forward thinking in terms of like music and like having music with a very like intentional purpose. So like the song is very like from my own personal experience as a person of color, as a black person, like a very like resonating experience and like listening to like this song. So like, I guess my question for you, Mike would be like, in considering navigating this in terms of like whiteness and privilege and like having the song be like one that resonates with you, like 
how do you choose to navigate that or how does that feel to like navigate that space when like sharing songs like this? Yeah. I mean, that's a, you, you can't, um, you can't, you can't deny the cognitive dissonance of it. Um, and the tensions of, um, as, as, uh, as a white, um, a white male listening to the song, um, that you are continue for myself, continuously navigating, <clears throat> um, positionality. Um, and so there are moments when, of course, you know, owning my own, you know, I know the part of me or try to love the part of me that says loving you is complicated, right? That's, that resonates completely deeply on, in me and have viewed myself in a mirror in, in very guided imagery and music ways, right? I've looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know, um, I place blame on you still, place shame on you still. I mean, that feel like you ain't shit, feel like you don't feel confidence in yourself, you know, like those that for me hits, um, while at the same time, there are very culturally bound messages, um, and language within the song, um, that is, uh, very culturally relevant as well. And in the music as well, right? There's a lot of multi-layered narratives, um, within, uh, the history of, Black identity in music, um, Parliament Funkadelic. I don't know if Parliament's necessarily on this song, but, you know, like James Brown references in one song, Parliament references in another song, YG references in another song. You know, they're all kind of all, <clears throat> you know, um, interlaced in there. And so at one moment, I'm positioned fully in it. And then the next moment, I am looking in. And then the next moment, I'm checking myself for my voyeurism and, and, and seeing, well, I, I am just a visitor here. And so now, how does this inform how I both present it, but also present myself and, and, and authenticity? Um, and so the conversation or the tensions are complex, and I can just try to definitely be aware of those tensions at all moment, not claim ownership um, while at the same time, not um, denying the, uh, the emotion or the connection or the me I see in it as well. So uh, it's certainly um, um, a cognitive dissonance and, and, and the aesthetic mm. and the experience. Mm. Yeah. And like, it's, um, like, I appreciate you like being open to having those questions asked for you. Um, cause I know they're not easy questions. Um, but <laughs> like first one that came to mind was like, especially as you're talking about like power and privilege and being in that position. Um, the lyric where it states like loving you is complicated and like the reasoning behind it, like, and this is a very like closed question. So you feel free to be more open in response to it. Like, do you think navigating that as somebody who like doesn't necessarily identify within like a person of color, like black community, like that could be relevant to being in a space of privilege and like having that complicated viewpoint after being aware of that and like taking ownership of it. Like, 
as a metaphor in that sense too like i'm not saying that like you answer it that way but like do you think that like that's what do you think but um that's like what came to my mind when I was processing like you saying it like that could be one space of like complication of like loving yourself especially when you become somebody who is in ownership of like an agented identity um and I'm not sure if that parallels to like anybody in this group that was listening to the song if that idea comes to mind does any of that make sense I feel like I (laughs) maybe that makes sense (laughs) it makes sense but that is a very weird way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's something to chew on. Like, yeah. I don't know if that is something. Uh, for me personally, I wouldn't be able to answer that right now. I would have to chew on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that really struck me, in addition to everything that Kendrick is addressing, is how he's addressing um uh, people or himself or situations with his voice like the different inflections in his voice um just even the beginning like his voice goes up complicated and then it like stays um stays at the same tone as a little faster complicated so in the theater setting where i work the overall organization's mission is to build characters. So that means within a show, um, but also it means uh, within the person to build confidence, to build different values. Um, And so when we're putting on a performance, we're embodying different situations um, and a character. And when you're embodying a character, the three tools that you have are your mind, your body, and your voice. So one of the exercises that I've done a couple of times to help specifically the, uh, the clients that I work with, with special needs, they um, a lot of the times, uh, the higher functioning ones can say their li- lines that they need to say, but they won't say it with any emotional inflection. So we have this game called emotion cup where we have a bunch of emotions in a cup and we choose one of the lines from the script and everyone has to pick an emotion out of the cup and not tell anyone what emotion they've picked out and they have to try to say, um, well, they have to try to first physically with their body portray that emotion. And then the second round, they have to portray it with their body and the inflection in their voice. So that is a way, or that's, that's something that I um, connected to with this song. Yeah, the the um, you know the way he's embodied some of the interjects um, and some of the messages, you know, it definitely feels of the body. You know, uh, it, it really, um, you know, it, it's a felt. 
experience and it, it reminds me of you know something like analytic music therapy where um or or other advanced music psychotherapies where you know people may say the words the therapy words or sing the words that sound good and sound therapized mm-hmm. um but yet when you move into music or or the voice in a way that really extracts it and moves it from in to out it sounds you know and it feels different and um you know the way he sings especially the last two verses mm-hmm. you know it just really sets you into that space in a vis- in a, in a in a very um yeah mm-hmm. visceral uh, way um you know mm-hmm. and and that is you know there's there's such complexity there um as as a especially as a white listener um so because i cannot embody the black experience obviously and to do so would be completely inappropriate um and and i'm in the song feeling my own stuff my own experiences while at the same time navigating an experience that i can never understand and so um you know that that was definitely a time period for me of a lot of deep introspection and understanding um uh, that just took it to it was like a opening of uh consciousness it seemed like um for a lot of people that album you know i i think damn gets a lot of the critical acclaim and, and pulitzer prize and that's a beautiful album too um but this seemed to have uh come at a certain moment where it's like woof uh, like uh, a different experience yeah but anyway the first i mean i wrote down like everything i wrote down had exclamation points after it i mean just i hate i put like the texture the phrasing but just sitting there and listening to it as a songwriter i think you know it's one thing to write it all down it's one thing to put the music behind it but I mean, like you said, he just embodies it and you just hear the pain in it. And it was, uh, I had to listen to it twice in a row. I mean, it just was so powerful Um, and just gave me, because I've listened to his other music. I had never heard that album before. Um, Mostly listened to Damn because it was so popular. Um, And it just gave me an entirely different perspective on, on him as an artist. And it just was so powerful and reminded me, you know, how we can use our voices and how we should encourage our clients to use their voices in different ways. Um, because it's one thing to say the words or to, to write the words, but to say the words and to really feel it, um, just so powerful. I do, I, I do want to, sorry, I do want to just say one thing and this might, this may or may not be on the podcast, whatever. Um, but that it is an interesting experience, again, sharing a song like this as a white person where I'm centering my whiteness in the listening experience and then found myself centering my own experience related to it and even ended with myself at the end of it. Not saying that that's right or wrong, it's the context we're in, but that I find myself, um, yeah, I, I was almost like, well, here I am centering my whiteness in relation to the song um, when, 
you know, you know, Grant spoke beautifully before, um, and then we could have ended it there. But yeah, I came back to uh, felt the need to say something else or say something else about it. So anyway, just that observation I had during it doesn't need to be on the podcast. Just openly sharing. Yeah, I'm also too like I just knew like own whole space for like this moment just in general um but like i do think having that type of context and like even you explaining and sharing that mm-hmm. aspect of it really does show the the fact that that is something that is going to happen no matter what the experience is and like it's not inherently a bad thing to do to acknowledge those things and to work through and process those and i think we don't have to have this on podcast at all. If you don't want to, we can figure this out. No, it's fine. Yeah. Actually, but, like, it I, might be good. Yeah. That's what I was saying in that situation. I think it's important for people to see and like, understand that like those things are going to happen. They're a natural part of like learning how to be a better person in terms of like navigating and supporting those who are in marginalized spaces and communities, just because you're not understanding it and like trying to like grasp those concepts you relate to it in the way that you can't for sure that's like the first thing that will happen but we do also have to be able to sit and lean into that discomfort especially um in my philosophy like therapy itself is just like bred off a very like oppressive system in that sense as to where we have these people who are always viewed as less than and can only get help if somebody with a professional like expertise on their experience can come in and help them which isn't necessarily always the case so like being able to have that as an example would be a very beautiful thing to share, um, in my opinion. But like I said, we can sit with it, hold the space. And uh, I appreciate you for being open to having me ask those questions and responding to them in your truth. Yeah, and I was definitely hoping, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the important aspects of bringing this on and to clinical populations is that these are the conversations we hope listeners will be influenced by as well you know and unfortunately we're going to have to end this episode here but stay tuned in a couple of days you'll get to hear the rest of our co-hosts share songs they enjoy and have even more discussions all right bye guys